Well, in this conversation, Roger and I sit down to talk about certainty. What can we know to be factually true or what helps us to hold a certainty in the belief and the propositions of said belief? And what does it look like to begin to unpack that? Uh, can certainty even really be held? And um, if it can't be held, what's the best we can do? What's the closest we can get to, to holding a belief because it's true? Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I want to apologize in advance for many of the awful jokes that I make during this discussion. Um, it was fairly late and uh, I just always want to have fun and uh, try and make these things as honest but also as uh, as approachable as possible. And uh, sometimes that comes across in a really shit way. So apologies there if they are, um, yeah, exceptionally bad jokes. Um, anyway, regardless of that, I think it's a great conversation. I really admire Roger. I've got a lot of time for him and I think you'll enjoy it. We're trying to get more visibility for When Believe Dies. And um, one of the ways we're doing that is by uh, essentially putting all our conversations up on YouTube in video format. Um, it's slightly lower quality in regards to the audio because I actually edit the audio directly into a door um, on my computer. But the uh, the videos essentially are just a slightly edited Zoom conversation on YouTube. But actually, I'm finding that we're getting a lot of reach over on YouTube and it seems to be doing fairly well. Um, so I want to ask all of you if you'd be willing to jump over to YouTube if you haven't before and hit subscribe. Um, even if you don't use YouTube that much, um, it really helps to boost the stats and it means that the videos get basically prioritized into other people's feeds as potential things to watch next. Um, say they watch a conversation with uh, Bart Ehrman or uh, John Goldengay or whoever, um, our conversations basically get pushed higher up the watch next list for those individuals. So if you could, it'd be amazing for you to jump over on YouTube and hit subscribe to uh, When Belief Dies. Um, it enables us to reach more people and hopefully make a difference to uh, yeah a variety of different people in a variety of different religious positions. Anyway, enjoy this conversation. Welcome to When Belief Dies, a podcast honestly reflecting on faith, religion and life. This podcast is all about listening. We want people to share their reasons for faith or their reasons for non-belief so that we can better understand what has or has not convinced somebody of the claims that different religions profess. This is a journey, it's not a destination, and I'm really excited to have you listening with us each week as we delve into different viewpoints from different parts of the world to try and uncover the truth. Enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of When Belief Dies. My name's Sam, and I'm delighted to welcome back onto the show today, Roger Bellerton. Roger, how are you doing? Hey, Sam, I'm doing great. It's good to be back with you again. Yeah, I think you've just finished a couple of weeks um, holiday, and uh, I've just started a couple of weeks holiday. So we're in very different places. You're, you're, you're hopefully nice and rested and not too stressed from, from restarting work. And I'm very stressed coming out of work, looking forward to a few weeks off. But uh, has it been good? You, you went camping, right? That's right. Yeah. So we, we were in Ireland for a couple of weeks. So we're sort of doing surfing and bodyboarding and all that kind of stuff. And then just back from uh, 10 days camping in Devon. And I, I, I don't know if you ever noticed this after a holiday period of time, I return to work and I have that sort of strange period of time where at the moment I can count the number of stressful conversations I've had this week. Uh, and probably by next week or the week after, it will just all blur into one. You know, I won't, I won't be able to count them anymore. <laughs> so at the moment, I know what's stressing me out. Um, by next week, I may not know. It'll all blur 
into one. That's funny. I have this thing where I come back to work and I realize that I just don't, basically I just don't give a shit. <laughs> I just, just come back to work. I'm just like, oh, this is so pointless and meaningless and just doesn't, why Why am I doing this? And then uh, after a while, that sort of level of kind of, oh, okay, because I need to earn money, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, the stress begins to slowly come on. But for a little bit, for like a good week, I'm just like, who the hell cares? Just get through the day and just <laughs> shut off at five and just be done with it. Um yeah, it's funny. It is funny. Um, anyway, we are not here to talk about holidays or work, sadly. Um, but yeah, I thought it'd be really good um, this week, essentially, to um, talk over, um, I guess, a bit about our our views of certainty and what could make us lose said certainty. Um, I know we've touched quite a lot on um, various epistemological, is that the right word? Epistemological, it is, um, uh, kind of views, like what, what do we believe? Why do we believe it? Um, what do we know? Um, how do we hold that knowledge? Um, and I think, yeah, obviously we can keep going that road forever, but it'd be good to begin to move into kind of like what what, what, what is actually holding us to um, to any faith or, or lack of faith and actually what could flip the switch almost and kind of make us look at those things from the other side. Um, I know you've got some questions for me and I've got some questions for you. Um, does that sound right? Does that sound like the sort of way you want to go with this? Yeah, that, that sounds fun. Fantastic. So I, I, I guess my feeling is I, I feel like um, you've asked me some pretty tough questions about how, how I know the belief I have originates in Jesus. Um, I, and I guess I haven't necessarily answered it with any great sense of certainty. So I've tried to sort of use different ways, but I, I do worry that if we go on about this too much, your listeners will get completely bored. So it probably is time to just sort of let, let, let's land it, except that I probably haven't satisfied you. But nevertheless, if I can get to the best articulation possible that would be great um th there was actually a thought that occurred to me though um just before um we came on and um a few years back i was reading a book by an apologist called oz guinness i don't know if you've heard of oz guinness but sort of um friends with someone called francis schaefer quite a famous sort of evangelical apologist for christianity and back in the 70s oz guinness wrote a book that i actually think is pretty good really it's a philosophical book called the dust of death and it's really his analysis of the kind of the collapse of sort of enlightenment thinking in the West. Really, it starts with the hippie movement and it talks through these sort of various things. Um, and there's something he says in that book that really, really stuck in my mind for ages and ages and ages. And it really sort of struggled with it. So he he's he was speaking to Christians in this statement and he said, um, um, as a Christian, you should never enter the marketplace. In other words, this sort of world of ideas thinking aloud. And um, I, I sort of really struggled with that for a long time, thinking that that's actually what I like to do. What I like to do is think aloud and be in a situation where, you know, what I'm saying I haven't necessarily articulated before. And so the reason that came to mind is because just before we came on, and I'm sorry if this just sounds like I'm flattering you, is I just felt like this has been a really good place for me to think aloud. And I've really just appreciated the opportunity to articulate some of what I believe even if I haven't always managed to get it exactly right I do feel like you, you're creating a really lovely place in which I didn't feel like I had to come with the four reasons why I believe I could literally go yeah I think it's this and it's a bit of that and there's maybe some of this um and I've just really appreciated our conversation so far in that sense that's good. I mean, I found it. Um, I found it really hard work. So at least one of us is happy in this relationship. Um, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. So that was really harsh. Um, no, I, I, um, I, I, I honestly think that um, these sort of conversations uh, kind of allow us to um, almost compact the grounds to actually be able to understand where we are um, and to be able to actually create something we can actually tread on and, and hopefully move forwards and and see what changes. Right. That's that's what I'm really interested in. Is is where our minds go um, with this sort of stuff. Um, so 
thank you as well. That was, that was really kind. And I really, really appreciate that. So, yeah. Um, one of the things that we've spoken about before, and I kind of threw it out as a bit of like an ad hoc thing in the last conversation, I believe, was the idea of kind of putting the cart before the horse and kind of wondering whether um, faith or belief is is coming in front of sort of um, reasons or certainty or, or all these sorts of things. And I guess it would be kind of, um, I kind of wanted to pass it back to you to kind of pick that up and, and, and run with that a little bit. And then to kind of begin to look at um what what does make you certain and then the kind of second half of the conversation we're going to begin to um, unpack the sort of what would it be for you um that would have to happen for you to begin to lose um, that certainty like what would undermine it almost and i know that i've written heavily on this and spoken heavily about this before from from my angle and and also looking at what would it take to get me back into christianity as well which is quite interesting but i mean i, I guess to start with roger if you wouldn't mind kind of um i guess cracking it open for us and beginning to to, to look at this is kind of what 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 is it that you're holding when, when we use the term certain about Christianity is anything certain um, and if it isn't how do you kind of honestly um, I guess um, unpick that and actually go well this this is my faith it's not a certain knowledge it's a hopeful knowledge or whatever it is and 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 is is the cart before the horse do you think is it was was that too far was that correct well I I, I thought your statement about the, the cart before the horse firstly I find it quite challenging for you to say that and if I just explain what I meant what, what I think you meant by it and then I'll, I'll just check with you that that is what you meant and then I'll, I'll sort of take it from there. So I, so when you, so it seemed like what you were saying is you were saying that I was effectively saying you, you have to assume let, let, well, let, let's use the Bible and experience just as an example for now. You have to say, assume that, that the story of the gospels of Jesus is, is true. You kind of just assume that and then you act upon it and then you discover that it is true. Like that's kind of what, what roughly maybe what I was saying. And you were kind of saying, we well, surely shouldn't it really be the other way around? Like, shouldn't we be able to establish that that is the truth? And then, okay, from there, I might be willing to, to, to give it a shot and put it into practice. So it's kind of, it, I, I felt like what you were saying is I was saying, really, it's almost like you have to believe before you can find out if it's true. Is that, is that kind of what you meant by God before the horse? Is that what you were kind of, yeah, 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 no, that's, I think that's, that, that's fair. It kind of, um, I mean, I remember my, my New Testament teacher at Bible college kind of saying, um, you know, the, the, the disciples were called to follow Jesus, not believe in Jesus to start with. And this idea of kind of, um, them getting to, 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 to know this person. So I guess it was, um, kind of pushing into that, like, what, what is it that we're, um, yeah, doing to then believe? Is that, is that true? And is that, is that actually is that actually how Christianity seems to work? Because that seems to be how the New Testament says it. And, and from what you said as well, that seems to be your way of saying it. But when I, you know, watch people like William Lane, uh, Lane Craig or whoever, there seems to be this like, okay, well, I've got my 12 reasons or, you know, um, Gary Habermas has got his uh, like 75 minimal facts, or whatever it is. And, and they have this sort of document that then that's almost their springboard into it, which I find very strange. So yeah, please go, go into it. Well, and, and I suppose the, this kind of relates to some of the things you and I have talked a little bit about offline is sort of, um, how, how difficult I've found some of that traditional approach to, to apologetics, really. So, I mean, I, I, I'm a great admirer of William Lane Craig and Gary Habermas, partly because I, I just see them as, you know, the, the sharpness of their thinking, the way they've constructed things, all that kind of thing. But it's really, really different to the way that, say, I operate as, as a psychologist. So as a psychologist, I'm doing empirical science all the time. And the thing is, you don't know whether something's true or not until you try it all the time. So... That's basically my day-to-day -day life is trying things out, constructing experiments. You spend a lot of time. I mean, most people who don't do research don't realize how many people and how much time you spend setting up this moment when you find, you know, I can spend a whole year 
setting up longer than that, finding the funding and then asking the questions. And only then do I discover that I was wrong right from the beginning. And that's three years of my life down the drain. Um, and so a sort of inquiry that we have where we can't be wrong, where we start with Jesus rose from the dead. And now from that point onwards, we're just going to argue that I, I don't find either attractive or convincing, I guess. I, and I, I, you know, I've read Gary Habermas and I've read William Lane Craig, and I've really, really wanted to believe them. Like I've really, really wanted to go, this is the moment, yeah, where somebody finally proves all this stuff to me with absolute, I mean, I'm a believer. So this is the moment where someone finally proves all this to me with certainly, I, I always come away a little bit disappointed is the word. And then secondly, a bit confused, um, particularly when William Lane Craig has a tendency to go on about how fantastic his arguments are. Um, I, you know, I've got no doubt at all that in an argument he would kick my ass and, you know, he would have me all over the place. Um, but but what I can say is that I don't seem to find his arguments anywhere near as convincing as he does. So, so I think this is what takes us back to the cart before the horse scenario. Um, because I, I guess what I what I end up saying, and I think there's good psychological evidence for this, is that the beliefs we have actually usually follow commitments that we've already made on some level. You know, that that's the way it is. And I know that you've talked quite a bit about, um, you know, not being in control of what convinces you and what doesn't convince you. And I, I think that's absolutely right. Um, but my guess would be that... that some things do or don't convince you because your plausibility structure has changed. So your sense of what actually gives you a good account of what life looks like for you and how it's supposed to live, that, that's altered over time. So now some things that once had an appeal to you just don't seem to fit anymore, don't, don't sort of work in your life. Um, so, so when I'm talking about Christianity in the way that I understand it, I, I am talking about that sort of, I talked about it last time, that sort of experiential circle which, which in a sense you could say it puts the cart before the horse in terms of you kind of, you, you take an idea, you try it out in life, you see what happens, you come back to, to conclude and you're going around around that circle. And so rather than saying putting the cart before the horse, I guess I would say, I would the language I would use is you have to enter the circle. So you have to step into that circle somewhere um, in order to do it. And I would say that all relational knowledge has that, structure to it you know all relational knowledge so so even my relationship with you has that structure to it that that initially I just took it as read that you were trustworthy that you were someone I would enjoy working with but then I had to step into the relationship to find out if that was true and you know get, go around the circle and you and I as we relate to one another we're changing our ideas on that all the time as we as we experience each other and understand one another better that that's the way um it goes so it's a sort of so there is a circularity to it, uh, and I think that can be seen as a self-defeating thing. But again, I think all knowledge is probably circular as well, unfortunately. Which means, um, I, I mean, I, you had Alistair McGrath on talking about science, didn't you? And he was really saying there is a kind of circularity to science as well, which is this assumption that the world is rational and meaningful and makes sense if we explore it in that way. And then when we do explore it in that way, it turns out that seems to work pretty well. Um, but, but you can't necessarily prove the assumption that you've made at the beginning. So I guess I, what I'm talking about is, is the foundational assumption that kicks off the circle I just have to assume and then take it from there. So I, I don't know if you, you might have things you want to say on that so far. Maybe. 
don't know if it's just completely wacky, but I guess um, where, where my brain goes with this is almost this point of saying, um, okay, but an example would be a, a, a general human's ability to see, for instance, is limited and it's set and it is an, it's an experiential thing. And that's what we know. Um, that doesn't mean that's what all that, that is true or all that there is. There is far more going on. And um, actually, if you begin to unpack the size of the universe, the scope of kind of um, neurons and quarks, et cetera, et cetera, and how you know, all different parts of everything fits together, you begin to realize that we have a very limited view and a very limited perception. And I guess my concern is with anything with science, for instance, um, you know, Einstein's theory of general relativity, gravity, anything we do with physics, you know, if you get into the sort of uh, very beginning of the Big Bang, where you get into uh, the center of a black hole, those things don't make sense anymore. So um, we can create a hypothesis, we can follow it through, but actually any hypothesis we have created in science breaks down at some point. It, it doesn't actually see us all the way through because it doesn't it doesn't make complete sense. It is, it's the best that we can get to with what we are able to touch and get on with. So I guess, would, would you say that that applies to Christianity for you? It, it's almost, it's the best we can get to with what we can experience or what you can experience within it? Or would you say that um, it could just potentially be almost this sort of, um, I use the term heuristic or, or lens or filter um, that we try and almost put in front of us to see through. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, th I think that's that, that's sort of really helpful way of thinking about it. Um, so we, if I say two things about this, so I think firstly, um, I, I guess what I am saying is I don't think there's any sort of viewer's balcony on life. So I don't think any of us really, you know, so, you know, in the House of Parliament, you have the, the press gantry and you can look down, and you can see everything going on below us. F firstly, I would say that we're all participants in life. So I think that kind of finite knowledge that sort of limited agnosticism that you're talking about i think is 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 absolutely right you know i think that that is the way it is that we're in the mix of it and we're all trying to work it out together um so when i when i make a claim for christianity I, i'm making it with universal intent you could say so i'm saying this seems to be true for me i think it could be true for other people too you know what, what do you think to that and i belong to a tradition and scripture and all these kind of other things that sort of hold it in that way um, but that's different from saying, um, let me put it this way, that's different from saying I have the kind of knowledge in which the knower is irrelevant, if you know what I mean. So, so one of the questions you, you've asked me a few times, uh, and we looked at it in the first podcast, we looked at it last time as well, um, it's just the question about would Christianity convince Julius Caesar or Genghis Khan or Napoleon, you know, is it the kind of thing let me explain it this way is for knowledge to be knowledge it has to have two poles to it so that's be the thing that is known and the one who knows it and if you don't have both those things you don't have knowledge uh, and sometimes i think what happens in fundamentalism i think it happens in highly conservative and fundamentalist christianity i think it happens in fundamentalist atheism as well if i can use that term um, weirdly i see it in various branches of psychology as well as fundamentalist behaviorists and fundamentalist evolutionary psychologists and what happens in those situations is that people stop behaving as if the, the knowledge that they have that they they don't have any responsibility for having comes it just is true that's it and they lose sight of the process by which that knowledge was accumulated. Uh, and in, in my field of psychology, that, that's quite often the difference between someone who popularizes psychology and goes, look at all these great findings, aren't they fantastic? And 
those sort of doofuses like me who are in the weeds trying to work out what's what and actually doing the studies and you know exactly that if you know one participant had just gone one way the whole study would have said something different um I, and so I, I guess um just coming back to your thing I, I'm saying um Christianity and all knowledge to some extent is participative and what I want to do is I want to take responsibility for the part that I have taken in constructing the knowledge that I have. Um, I, and it's it's active in that way. Now, now, the danger of thinking that knowledge doesn't need a knower, you know, the danger of thinking, you know, taking the human being out of it is that you do end up with people who believe they have absolute truth and therefore can do what they like with it. And even, you know, I mean, we're watching the Taliban right now running through Afghanistan. And effectively, that's that's kind of part of their belief system is that we have something that is so true. It's absolutely irrelevant what anybody makes of it, whether they accept it, whether they're convinced it just is. And we're now going to act on that thing. Um, And that might be okay with something like, you know, does this, you know, does the the earth go around the sun or something like that, which is, you know, about uh, probabilistically about as certain as you can get. It's probably not okay with anything that's really precious to us, whether it's faith, whether it's love, whether it's hope. All those things, by definition, have to have a level of uncertainty in them or they don't work anymore. You know, so love is saying, um, Sam, I'm going to believe there's something really, really valuable in you, even on the days when perhaps I don't see it. Hope is saying, um, I actually think there is a better future. I'm going to work towards it. It'll probably be difficult to get to. Um, But sometimes it very much looks like that is a delusion. Um, I, and faith in this sense is in the sense of kind of with God and with Christianity is really saying, I'm going to hold this as a working hypothesis and live into it. Um, even though I will recognize that there's evidence to the contrary, you know, particularly, you know, we've talked a bit about the problem of evil. That's a real sort of challenge of, I believe there is this good thing. And if I live into it, it does do good in the world. But firstly, I look at all the evils that religion itself has done. And then I look at evolutionary history and how painful it is. And I recognize that there are things that, that I'm living out. I'm living a, a certain thing that, that it isn't absolutely certain because there's stuff that goes against it. But nevertheless, I, I'm kind of living it into that uncertainty. So, so some people would say our beliefs are what we hold to be true in spite of evidence to the contrary. You know, that's what a belief is. Um, and so I guess what I'm saying is that I have faith over against some of those other things. Okay, that's really helpful. Um, so there's one more thing I want to push on this before we dive into the sort of um, what would it take to make you kind of begin to step back from this this non-certainty um, that you hold. Um, and that's essentially this idea that um, for a lot of people, when they look at Christianity, there is a, a set of propositions that you have to believe. Um, otherwise, you aren't in whatever that looks like. And Jesus kind of um, used the analogy often, doesn't he, of kind of like a weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's sort of the, those that are in and those that are out. And I know that quite often he's using these words actually about the most fundamental religious people possible in society. But within kind of modern day Christianity, the last 200 years, really, especially in the West, um, there has been this sort of um, heaven and hell divide. And I don't I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that that you necessarily believe that hell is, you know, the classic inferno picture and that heaven is his classic kind of like, you know, sunbathing and kind of, I don't know, some sort of like um, beautiful drink um, on, on the beach or something, but kind of what, 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 whatever your actual sort of afterlife views are, um, let's just put them on pause because I think that could kind of confuse the conversation. Mm. What I want to get at really is if somebody doesn't have the ability to dive into this relational 
knowledge that there needs to be able to understand where the circle is, step into that circle, as you've already said, and begin to see an outworking of a Christian motif within their life to be able to begin to believe that they are necessarily even a Christian, whatever that looks like. Um, Tom Holland, I, we spoke to him recently, or I spoke to him recently, and the podcast just dropped, so we're talking about this. I know you've seen that conversation, and he has this argument, obviously, where the, the West is Christian in its sort of um, general principles anyway. So it's, it's almost like we are already living out and being within this sort of Christian motif itself, but um, the, 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 the Christ at the centre of that has dropped away. So what am I trying to say with all this? Essentially, is, is there any blame or any um, reason why people can almost live out Christian motifs and not necessarily have to call on the one that is Christ because there seems to be um, a really difficult ability for somebody to step within this circle um, especially when that circle has not been drawn and it's not defined and it's not clear and it's it's complicated it's convoluted there's so much confusion there um, how, how do we begin to even be no, try and address this this sort of big issue within Christianity if it isn't a set of doctrines or a list or a belief system or a structure or a creed or whatever like we begin to have problems and if, if there is no level of certainty then there's no way of actually going no I actually do believe in Christ now I am actually like, like physically becoming a Christian in this rather than just kind of almost being a a, a sub-Christian kind of western person if that makes sense I, it's, a, it's a bizarre one but yeah I can see it. and it, it's a super complicated question with so many different dimensions to it so so why why don't I say something quite simple about it and then it, it might be that, that that'll do for now but because there's so much in what, what you're asking there um so, so where where I would go with that one is um firstly I've, I've felt this since since I was a teenager really um is that firstly I think Christianity is up for for a, a sort of reformulation um in our in our time you know that i think just as 500 years ago we roughly had the 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 reformation and that was sort of it was almost like the moment where christianity sort of caught up with european culture at that moment and that sort of has created the large part of the protestant well actually you know the roman catholicism kind of reformed at the same time in different ways at the same time um i i feel like 500 years on we're kind of in the same place again which is actually the connected point between people's lives and expert and sort of Christianity as it's currently understood has been lost and it's time to sort of find what's that connecting point again. Um, I, I have to say that, that for me, what, what's really interesting is if you read, say, uh, uh, here's where my geekiness comes in. So at the moment, I'm really, really enjoying reading the 14th century English mystics, which is not, a, a statement you hear people say very often um but but so they're coming just before the protestant reformation happens so just before all the monasteries in you know britain are really mainly destroyed you know lost um and one of the things i've really noticed in reading the way in which they write about god that i think is probably closer to how we would like to think about it than the reformers were really is that instead of this idea that it's all these principles that are out there all the theology is the same. Jesus is still the son of God and he's God incarnate and God is loving and he's in our lives and we can pray to him. So all, all that basic stuff is still there. But they write all the doctrines, not as if they're sort of principles that are out there that have to be written on paper and agreed to. 
The medieval mystics write about all of them as if they're immediate experiences. So the Trinity isn't just some utterly ridiculous notion that no one can really get their head around. Um, it, it's experientially important to them in terms of how they're relating to God and what's going on. So, so if I were going to say, uh, I, I think that, that, that there's sort of been a divorce between what the church believes and how our culture accepts it. And the direction I think that the church just, I think we just will move in this direction. I think this is what's going to happen. I think we'll move in a direction that's much more experiential much more um, practice based. So um, if you know, you know, my first book was called The God Lab, Eight Spiritual Experiments Can Try at Home. And even though it, it's a bit of a flawed concept in some ways, I was trying to get at this idea, really, which is it actually came to me because uh, it's a long story, but I, I won't tell you how it came to me. But the the um, it was basically like people really were saying to me, I'd kind of love to be a Christian, but what do you do? You know, what, what's involved? And it's like, it's like, okay, let me give you just eight things, eight ways of praying, eight little practices you could try and see what you make of it. And for some people, they made a lot of it. And for some people, it meant nothing to them. And some people, it made them angry. But the book was written in certain ways. I just want you to be really, really curious about what happens when this happens. So th this gets on to what I'm certain about, I guess, is that so I live my Christian life with enormous sense of adventure and day by day curiosity. And I think what I've found over those, for me, it's probably 20 years of thinking about it that way. How would Jesus have me live? How would the, the my experience of God within me teach me to live? And I think what I've found is to the extent that I've lived in accordance with that, never live in accordance with it perfectly, but to the extent that I do, my life seems to be better and seems to work better. I seem to have a more positive contribution on the world. And to the extent that I don't, live that um, don't stick with it my life doesn't seem to work it seems to just fall apart and be miserable and so weirdly in terms of certainty I end up exactly back with the statement I started with right at the beginning of the first podcast which is I guess I'm pretty convinced that for me in my experience so far that living the Christian life is the best way of living I've so far encountered even though I'm really welcome to, to kind of question that and think about that but I, you know, I'm I'm just certain that that is that, that's a statement of fact for me, really. You know that that I've lived it, I've cycled around it lots and lots of different times, and in the way that I've learned to live it with God, I I think it is following Jesus is the best way to live. Okay, so a question I want to ask you, which I probably won't, I think I'll probably move us on, is um, is it anybody's fault if they're not a Christian then, um, because if they're not able to uh, engage with or experience this thing then that's a concern and it kind of feeds into the question i want to ask you um which is going to begin us on this kind of road of like what would it take to 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 lose your faith which is kind of um if i took you and i stripped away your uh, you know your job your uh, experiences your uh, you know and i gave you i don't know let's do something horrific i i gave you cancer at 24 and it took you out for eight years and there was always horrible experiences like you know you you and your wife whenever able to have children you end up getting divorced through horrific circumstances like just just everything that has been a blessing to you becomes a curse and um, almost like job like would you would you curse god to his face like would you actually turn around and go the experiences um haven't outworked or become what they needed to be for me to be living in 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 this place like would that have been enough almost to kind of withdraw your your faith or your belief in in christianity from you um and if not why not is it is it a 
Is it a personal thing within your heart or mind or soul or whatever language you want to use that is making you go, no, this is true regardless of the outside world? Or or, or is it the outside world and the sort of um, giftings or blessings or whatever like like utilization that god's placed in it that, that, have, that has made you kind of go no actually i do i do hold to this like you, you're experiencing something you're living your life in a certain way what is to say that that is not just life and if you took away all those things would you have actually turned around and, and as job you know as it was challenged to job like cursing god to his face would would, would you have become that person i don't know Re- really good question sam um can I answer the, I know you don't want me to answer the whose fault is it question, but can I just answer that really pithily? Because, you know, my, my answer to the whose fault is it if other people aren't Christians is it's my fault. So my my kind of view of it is that I'm sitting on this thing that I find pretty wonderful and quite fantastic, but I fear the humiliation that comes when I try to share it with other people. Um and a large part of my journey is can I get over the shame, the social insults, the, the gossip that people say behind my back to really share it in a vulnerable way with other people. Uh, and if I'm honest, I think it's one of the reasons why I was attracted to you, because I thought here's someone who's really going to question me and push me, but isn't going to shame me. And so um, I, I kind of do feel like, um, generally speaking, the reason most people aren't Christians is because no one has cared enough about it to present it to them in a way that that's worth them hearing, you know, in a way that's loving and gentle and kind, but nevertheless pretty persistent and insistent. This is really worth paying attention to. Um, so that that's that 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 piece. Um, there's loads more to that, but we'll just put it aside. Then when when it comes to the sort of the the question of pain, I. I, I don't feel, I mean, I, I've mentioned before that I'm, I'm a, I'm a clinical psychologist and I work in trauma. And so I've sat alongside lots and lots of people who've been through the most unimaginable sadistic and horrific things you can ever imagine. Um, and working with them to try and help them overcome it and move on and put their life back together again. And, um, I, I guess, I guess for me, when I say Christianity works, I don't just mean that that, that following Jesus makes me feel good. Although sometimes it does. Um, I, I mean that that following Jesus is also the thing that really works to me for me when I encounter the worst pain in the world. So when you know friend, friends have died suddenly, or um, tragedy in the family, um, all of that for me has pushed me deeper into God. Um, rather than further away you could view well maybe it was a way of coping you know in fact I'm I'm not ashamed it probably was a way of coping (laughs) it just was um but um so I so I don't think that and also I don't hold a view of the world that God is completely in control of everything that happens so if all my family got wiped out tomorrow for example you know the people I love most in my life and rely on um I mean, it would be utterly devastating, but I would be crying into the arms of God. I wouldn't put God on the side of the, the pain. God would be on my side in those kind of situations. And there's a whole whole kind of thing to explore there. Um, can I just say the kind of tragedy that I think would take my faith away would be, I think there are things where anything that dissolved my identity, so anything that took away my intentionality. So if I was... Um, tortured to the point, you know, I've worked with torture victims, but tortured to the point where I lose any sense of who I am. Um, if I come to a point where I become completely and totally hopeless, that nothing I could possibly do will make any difference in the world. 
Um, if I suffered from dementia or brain damage, that there's a good chance I might, you know, sometimes faith is actually the last thing to go for people in those kind of situations. But there is a chance that that might be wiped out. You know, maybe the bit of my brain that allows me to trust God gets damaged and that's it. Roger can't trust God anymore. Um, so, so, I, so I think the, the things that would be most likely to remove my faith in the tragic sense would, would be physical damage in some way or, or psychological damage to me, uh, rather than things I love, people I care. Um, losing my job would be a massive challenge. You know, all those kind of losses in life, they would be huge and I'd be angry and I'd probably have to work through some things with God, but I don't think I would lose my faith in the midst. Of, I th in fact, I think um, my experience of God would be what I would turn to to find significance and meaning in those moments. Hey, I want to take a minute of your time to talk about supporting When Belief Dies. This will always be an advertisement-free podcast, and for that reason, I hope you will be willing to share this episode with your friends and family. Subscribe to the podcast in your favourite podcast app, and check us out over on YouTube. Finally, I want to ask you to consider supporting the show financially. You can support the show on Patreon with a monthly gift or a one-off donation via PayPal. Everything that you give goes directly towards running and improving the blog and podcast. Take a look in the description for all the links, and thank you for supporting the show. Right, let's get back to this week's episode. Okay, I keep saying it, starting with that, I apologise, it sounds very, very like, right, this is what I'm going to say next. Uh, I don't mean to, I just want to make sure I get my message across well or yeah. my questions and thoughts across well rather than message it's not really a message um okay so how you described god if your family would be wiped out i know we probably shouldn't use that as the analogy all the time but we're going to go with it for this episode apologies to you and your listener um um if, if that was to happen you're saying that you wouldn't blame god in 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 how you're speaking god is still real um, and I think that might be something to hone in on here. That there, 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 there seems to be, um, it isn't like um, you could conceptualize your family being wiped out and God therefore not being real, so not being able to take the blame for anything. The way you answered it was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's your fault, God, and like hold God like, oh, you, you rascal, how dare you kill my entire family? Um, like there, 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 there seems to be this sort of um, dichotomy almost with, with, with um, where we're both coming from. Where I'm trying to go, well, what if you were in a situation where you, your mental capacities or your physical capacities um, or whatever weren't damaged, and you were still you as you are right now, but actually the belief in God, that fire or spark or whatever it is that that nugget um is all of a sudden gone and you're like okay i'm now in exactly the same situation and the thing within me that i thought was everything has completely vanished um i know i know of christians who have who have experienced that but have still pressed in and and then refound it and they felt it was like a time of testing or, or whatever um i know obviously many christians who that that happened to and they never found it again and they've been either kind of just given up or they've they've been on this journey like i've been on to try and ask questions of, of christians and non-christians go what the heck was that um so i guess can, can can you is it possible roger for you to answer it in 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 the other way or would it always be a case of 
Go on. Yeah. So, so, so what's going on here, Sam? Is I just misunderstood the question. So, so you're not asking would this destroy your faith? You're saying if something like this happened and your faith was destroyed, can I imagine being in that? That's what. That's the question you're asking. I. What would that be like? I to, to no longer believe in God at all. Yeah. Yes. And and could you could you envision that happening to you? So it it was it was two parts, but the first part I think might, might be miscommunicated poorly. That's that's my mm-hmm. fault. So yeah. Um. So, 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 the, it, 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 so firstly, I, as, as a Christian, I always count it as a fa- an intellectual failure if I have to quote C.S. Lewis. So I'm just going to quote C.S. Lewis now. I love C.S. Lewis. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do, but um, I'm like, you know, if you have to quote C.S. Lewis, you, you've, you've had a, a lack of creativity for a moment, in my opinion. <laughs> Not blaming you, but that's how I feel about myself. But there's a moment in... in um, in the Scriptate letters, where um, C.S. Lewis is uh, is really talking about those sort of moments as a Christian, where it looks incredibly plausible that there is no God, you know, um, and I think everybody has those moments. So, so even if I haven't been in that place for a long period of time, I, I've probably had um, months where I've been in that place where I've just wondered, I don't know if this works anymore. I don't know if God is really there. Um, I, I mean, I went through, uh, sorry to sound patronising, when I was roughly your age, I went through a sort of, not a deconversion as such, but definitely a deconstruction where I wondered if I could be a Christian anymore, whether that was still my identity. Um, and some of what I'm talking about now kind of came out of that. That, that was part of my reconstruction, really. Um, so, so I can imagine being there. Um, the other thing I did after writing the God Lab, um some of my atheist colleagues at work said it's all very well you telling us to try to be a christian but why don't you try to be an atheist so i then started this new experiment where i said okay right so for i was gonna i was gonna write another book called my summer of atheism which was basically me for three four months over the summer wouldn't go to church wouldn't do any of that stuff um and then just blog about it and write about it and think about what was that like um trying to bracket the idea of God. And I found and I found it really, really informative, but I didn't last very long on it. And the reason I didn't last very long, I think I think I last a week and a half. So my week and a half of atheism isn't really such a good book title. So it, it never became a book. Um and with do you know the thing that that I couldn't do was it was if someone was in pain and my compassion was evoked, as someone who ultimately did believe in God, I couldn't stop myself praying for them. So I couldn't stop myself going, that person's in pain and I really want to reach out to them because I believe that God hears those things. So it's really, really hard um, to get rid of. Um, So let's, so I think, so if that's the bit I couldn't get rid of, that's the bit that couldn't go, I think probably that would be the bit that I would, I would miss. So hope would disappear. My sense that there was somebody listening who, um, I don't necessarily believe that God protects me perfectly in any way, but ultimately that things will work out, even if it doesn't necessarily work out for me in my lifetime, I'm contributing something that ultimately will work out. Um, I I think as you've encountered, I think part of the pain of it would be the social loss of church and friends and those kind of things. Although um, I have to say that, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of my friends are, are pretty good. You know, we have various people in various levels of unbelief who knock around my sort of church community and we still meet them down the pub and they might be married to someone who's in church, but they've given up on it a while back and they're still part of the crew. Um, 
So I wonder if my experience of that side of things might be a little bit easier than some of the, the experiences you've you've described. Um, so how, how I do, is, is this roughly what you're asking about or have, have I gone off track? It, it is. I, um, <clears throat> so th- how I'm, how I'm, I'm viewing it. So I went to a castle today with my, with my family, which was really fun. Um, the little boy was desperate. He's like, castle, castle. He's three. And we're like, I don't want, I don't really want to go to a castle. Like it basically, it's, it's just ruins. He's like, castle, castle. So we showed him a picture of his castle and it's ruins. He's like, that's not a castle. I'm like, but it is, that is, it literally is a castle. So we had to find another castle, which luckily we live quite near Skipton. They've got like an amazing medieval castle in Skipton, which has still got its roof and floors and you can walk through. And he, he loved it. It was great. But I was walking through there and looking at the different crosses and they've got the old chapel and all these sorts of things and kind of wondering who who was it that that built this work that that put these these amazing kind of um christ figures into the into the rock and stuff and what did they believe did they believe that it was a, an experiential thing that gave them hope and meaning or was it a, a, there are some tenants which give their life hope and meaning and, and they and they hold on to it because um life's really crap and it's really hard and it's really difficult and these things help them to 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 get through and i guess um i'm i'm finding it hard not that i want to pin you down but i'm finding it hard to pin you down because i i, I kind of feel like um christianity has uh, throughout you know 900 years ago when when this castle was created or whenever it was like um um you know that they they believe certain propositions and you know back when jesus was first kind of viewed and believed to be resurrected they believed certain propositions those things have changed things have adapted christianity has gone all over the place and and where we are today it seems to be a a really hard thing to actually go this this is christianity um and actually go how do we begin to um yeah push into that and go what could what could we do to take that away and then i kind of hear you say like if somebody was in pain or dying or suffering or whatever it is you wouldn't you tell everything within you that wants to pray for them um i know i know muslims who would be the same um what's like it's it's you know i again they're very hard to pin down like what's what is it that makes christianity true and 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 surely it should be that 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 goes like what is it that makes it real or tangible or held and if those things go then that's what i mean i can go into that for me um if that's helpful but you know i I kind of want to ask like roger like what what like you have to have a a a bedrock fact or a a bedrock belief or something that you need to hold um because otherwise you will always always slip back into christianity because it is a well-worn glove or shoe it makes sense it's comfortable it's granted you the hope and meaning that i believe it was designed to do um i believe it's 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 a, a meme or, or a heuristic or, or a way of working things out that grants us the very things that you're saying make it worthwhile yeah. to you so of course it's going to do that like what, what else is it that actually makes it true that's that's what i want to get at Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great question. Um, I'm also sort of hesitant about about sort of repeating because I I'm wondering whether this might be the point at which we start to talk about what might make me lose my faith and and begin to think about those things. Cause I think that might get us close to the question you're asking. Cause I guess, well, well, let's start with the first one because this is important. So I guess at the moment, what I believe is 
that the New Testament particularly, let, let's leave out all the thorny issues of the Old Testament for the time being, um, but the Gospels and the letters attributed to Paul particularly, let, let's stick with that for the time being. Um, I genuinely believe that to be trustworthy. So, um, I, I mean, we talked before, they're kind of different versions. It's almost like different, you know, people have sort of revisited Jesus in different ways <laughs> in different times. Um, and I can live with the idea that people have differing perspectives and this sort of a kaleidoscope way of viewing him, some of which really difficult to put together coherently. Um, but nevertheless, I don't view them as either untrustworthy or contradictory. So I don't, I don't view it as there are just because one group, you know, one gospel says two blind men and the other gospel says one blind man, that that means that the whole story is wrong. Or, you know, we know something nasty happened to Judas. Did he hang himself or did he fall over in a, in a field and his bowels fell out, which is really weird. I mean, you know, we just know things didn't go well for Judas, whatever that is. Um, and um, so I guess fundamentally, I, I, I believe that the Bible is trustworthy um in that sense I, and therefore i i come back to one of the things i said a, a few few months back which is um th that i sort of believe these are facts you know these are from the latin fact and these were these are things done in history um and and it, i kind of take them at face value to begin with you know i ask you know there's loads of questions to ask about them and all, all that's fine um, and I think if that trust in the Bible was fundamentally undermined, so let's say if, if I listen to Bart Ehrman and I start looking at his lectures and things like that, and I have perhaps something like the revelation or, or the realisation you, you had, which is fundamental documents as dodgy as hell, and I can't trust a word of them, um, then that would be pretty hard to get over. That would be pretty hard to get around. Is, is this getting closer? Yeah, this is really helpful. Um, <clears throat> okay, so we're saying essentially that if you found the, the scriptural mass of evidence to be incorrect or tampered with, or if, if, if that breaks down below 50% trustworthy, then you're going to be getting to 49 and lower, then you're going to begin to go, oh, it's a little bit risky. And then at some point it will, be, it will become too much and, and almost like the straw that breaks the camel's back. You can no longer trust this. So how can you trust the life and the experiences and the beliefs that you have to be correct? Go on. Well, so, so if you think, I keep talking about this circle. And let's say the circle starts with the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, um, Love your enemies, which is a really, really ridiculous strategy. And it and some you know, one of my big worries at times is that actually that's completely wrong. And actually, nice guys always come last. And by living my life in a way that says love is the way to live, I could actually fundamentally be relegating myself to the sidelines of life. You know, not competing, not pushing an ambition for for what I want, not not going after. You know, Jesus said same thing. Jesus says loads of things. Don't go after money. But then I look at, you know, we've just been camping. You look at all these people, the person next to us has a much nicer tent than you. And that whole thing of, you know, maybe I'm a bit of a loser and I need to be pushing after money, but Jesus would be against that. So what would happen if someone then comes along and goes, actually, all that stuff that Jesus said about it, Jesus didn't really say that. But, just, you know, some guys made it up a couple of hundred years later just to kind of, you know, help things along or they were addressing some issue that they had at the time. Um and then fundamentally, what's been undercut is that circle that I'm talking about. 
So I don't have a starting point anymore. I can't go, oh, I need to love my anime. I can't do that. How would I love my anime? Let's try again. Let's try again. Um, this doesn't seem to be working. Is this a bit, you know, so that circle that I'm in, which fundamentally is the assumption, let's say I should love my enemies. What if that that's a, you know, that I, I guess I could get to that by humanistic ways, but maybe I would feel that that was no longer based on Jesus. And at that point, I've sort of become a, a humanist rather than a Christian, someone who lives a good life, believes in a moral life, believes in ethics, um, but is beginning to think I can't base that on any of the lives of Jesus as I've received them. So just out of interest to kind of touch on this very, very briefly, um, what if loving others before yourself did put you into the last person position? Like what if it did mean that you would always be in that in that relegated spot? Um, is that like is is that a bad is that a, for you is that a bad thing? Like that's that's quite an interesting idea. Um yeah, it, it, it is. That, that, that's a really, really good question. So, and, it, and it's a question that I'm asking myself a lot at the moment um, because I've just taken on a new position at role that, at work that is effectively a bit of a demotion for me, <laughs> but essential and something I feel I really need to do. So, so I'm actually sort of living out exactly what you're describing at the, at the moment and feeling like my kindness has been taken advantage of. But at the same time, I feel like this quite strong compulsion that I would say, it was almost of God to say, I think I really need to put my back behind this and work into it. But my big fear is I hit 50, which for me is coming in five years time. And, you know, all the people I started work with have accelerated way beyond me. They're really, really hugely successful. And I'm some guy just chugging along in some corner, really miserable and not getting anywhere. Um, Now, your question is a really, really important one, because it's not only asked from a Christian point of view, this is also an important one from a psychological point of view. Uh, and my finding, so Carl Jung, for example, if any of his clients ever came into him and said, um, I went for that promotion, and I didn't get it, and they'd be really upset about it, he would say, fantastic, well done, you didn't get your promotion, you can now live authentically, you know, you're no longer trying to meet all these criteria, you can live whatever you want to do. Um, and that that's my finding too, is actually there's something in not you know, naming an ambition, I want to be professor, let's say, an academic, and then lining up my whole life to try and achieve that. Um, but there's something very exciting and wonderful and fantastic about that. But it does breach my authenticity. It breaches that part of me that that keeps an eye on, am I being kind? How happy am I? What are the quality of my relationships? How meaningful are things on me? Because I'm doing, success has become the single goal. Um, so, So I guess what I'm saying is, I, I think actually, you know, maybe if you end up in that comment, it's not as bad as we think it is. Um, but that's a real battle for me. So that battle between ambition, I, sometimes it's between ambition and authenticity, actually. You know, that 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 is a big battle. Um, and again, when I look at the teaching of Jesus, it seems to be more on the side of authenticity and truth and love and kindness than on the side of ambition at whatever cost. Yeah, that's that's fair. It is it's it is really interesting. So I think a lot of times, um, you know, when I was at Bible college, for instance, the focus was on um, theology and leadership. Like we wanted church leaders that were going to be able to go out and reach X amount of people with X size church and do this amazing stuff for for God's glory. And it it was it, it was interesting because it definitely. I mean, it, it, that's one of the reasons why I actually had a, a year out of work. So I ended up leaving Bible college, getting married, had to work a job in IT, and I'm still in IT now, but. Um, ended up 
realizing that I wasn't leading a church like a lot of my really close friends had gone on to do. They got churches of three, four hundred people quite quickly and were absolutely smashing it, wearing the great clothes and delivering a great message and really kind of promoting God like in this amazing sort of like very hillsongy sort of like way. And this was challenging for me not because I wasn't them but because I hadn't um, reached what I believed I should be doing for 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 God um, and it definitely knocked me back it didn't make me lose my faith or anything but it definitely made me go kind of what is Christianity then what, what am I trying to be doing in this and not that I believe the whole of my biblical studies course that it was meant to be about becoming amazing it was it was always about introducing people to Jesus and kind of actually living that out in a, in a, in a, in a fruitful way um, so yeah, that's that. I found that really interesting, and then just kind of unwinding all that. Uh, yeah, gone. But just to say that, that that's what triggered my sort of deconstruction experience was having been in a position where I was sort of being set up to take over as a leader of quite a large church, and um, for lots of different reasons, it all fell apart. And um, I went through about five years of real sort of bitterness and anger, and feeling cheated by God and feeling screwed over by the church, and all you know, all all that kind of stuff goes on we won't go into that in detail but if you know that could be something we want to touch on at some point but but my view of it now actually is that um what triggered all that was actually the violation of my ambition really you know that instead of wanting to be a follower of jesus i wanted to be ride ride jesus jesus's coattails to be famous and successful uh, and i don't think jesus promises that ultimately this list really does drive into purpose and i don't know whether we want to go down in in this now but um and we can park it and come back to sort of the kind of um, theology and scriptures and, and what will make you lose your faith. But um, I think purpose, I've just had an episode on purpose before it goes live. This episode goes live, that one will go live and it looks a kind of purpose. And, um, you know, I think purpose is a fascinating subject because um, what what makes us think that our purpose is correct or right or real? You know, we, we, we all have ambitions and dreams. And actually, um, I think I always say this like this is a journey it's not a destination and it's almost like we need to have a destination that we're aiming for if we ever reach it like have we stopped why, why would you stop walking keep going like find a better destination like there's this like consistently in life there's like you know and it could be to be a great mum or a great dad or it could be to learn to sing and you're 75 and you're crap at singing you've only got like you know another maybe 20 years left at the most and you're like I'm just going to try and just do my best and like you're like the thing that gives you joy is the thing that should be the thing that drives you forward, I think. And, and you know, maybe that's another conversation to have later on. Um, but yeah, I, th- I find this really interesting. Um, and then um, I guess the, the, the kind of stepping back a little bit further and going back to the sort of theology and scripture stuff. So um, so for you, Roger, if, if you were presented with the New Testament to be incorrect or, or fallible um, and yeah, the things that Jesus believed or said or did to be questioned and brought into a, a position of like, how do we know this is true? That That's what would begin to get you worked up. So again, let's part that for a second. I think the next question I want to dive into really is, is this sort of idea of, okay, well, could you imagine that to have happened? What you're experiencing today, Roger, what you're going through, the different lifestyles that you've, or the different lifestyle that you live due to being a Christian stuff, could you see how that could be mapped on in a naturalistic framework, or is that just completely mental to you? That's probably not the right word. Completely crazy. Again, probably not the right word. Yeah. No. I. I. I so I. So I think um, what's similar for me between between say being a Christian and how I might live if I was more humanistic and I lost belief in God um it is be, because i i'm someone who studies character strengths which is basically the, the positive qualities of 
human living that that you know it's across humanity it's irrelevant i say it's irrelevant irrespective of religion would be a better way of putting it um that weirdly those character strengths would remain the same you know this is one of the really weird things that comes up in research on um conversion actually that if you measure people's personality before conversion and measure it afterwards, what you find is that their fundamental personality doesn't change, but the narrative in which they've placed it does change. And that looks like a complete personality change because, you know, the classic one is Saul of Tarsus, isn't it? It goes from being this sort of, you know, crazy, passionate persecutor to being this crazy, passionate evangelist. Um, I, and I've seen that multiple different times. So I think if I deconverted something very similar would happen to me is that the abilities, the gifts, my contributions to the world, et cetera, um, would actually really all remain the same because they just kind of are. Um, and I guess what, what I, but I then, uh, there is a possibility I would, I would live more in the present moment because I think, so actually literally this is just it now. So I just have to make this work rather than at the moment, there's always this sort of, with Christian hope, there's always this sort of bit behind you that says, well, if I cock it up today, maybe it'll work out eventually. So it sort of just takes a little bit of responsibility off you a little bit. So I think if there was no God and it's just me, um, I think my gifts, my contribution, the way I live, the things I put my time to would remain the same. I'd replace reading the Bible with probably reading a bit more psychology and, you know, other ways of living, uh, philosophy and things like that. Um, but I think I wouldn't, I'm trying to think if I would end up, because you can't tell whether you would then end up reconstructing something else. You know, maybe I end up being a bit panpsychic or, um, maybe I end up with a sort of, a sort of panentheism or a pantheism or a sort of, more of a sort of Buddhisty general spirituality side of it. I think I might move towards something like that where I don't have to nail it down into a historical truth quite so strongly. It's interesting. I kind of want to, yeah, I guess ask, and again, this probably isn't helpful. It'd be good to kind of begin to look at sort of like what, what we're going to do to investigate how you could lose your faith. And I think that's an exciting question, but um, it's, it's, it's almost like it makes me want to go like, so what's Christianity given you? Like if you would have the same, if somebody who converts has the same goals, dreams, ambitions, et cetera, et cetera. And they just, that is the frame that they're seeing their life in the changes. Like what, what is it then that, is is it just the fact that you mentioned that Christianity lifts something off your shoulders and gives you that a little bit more breathing space? Is that what it's? Is that what Christianity is? Um, I know you're going to say no, but I kind of want to go like it. It sounds like it is. Yeah, that, that's what it is. But um, my my entire perspective on life has been built by Christianity. Like, like sometimes I literally feel like I've been taken apart and built by God. So it's a bizarre thing to say, and probably requires a lot more explanation. But but, but what that means is, and I, I don't think many Christians think about this very much, is that every time I learn hope, I learn love, and all of this I'm getting from scripture, from church, from spirituality, from spiritual practices, once I've learned those things, they're mine. You know, they're part of me now. So um, even if I tomorrow just decided Jesus wasn't true, none of that was real, all the things I've learned from Christianity, I'll just continue to carry. I wouldn't be able to put them down because I know them to be good. You know, I just know they work. They're good. This is me. It's authentic. I haven't found a better way of living. Um, so it, it, so some people would say I, I'd, I'd lose the king, but keep the kingdom, if you like. Um, or, or I'd keep the fruit. Or I, I, you know, you retain what you've learned, even if you maybe lose the framework. 
I mean, all of this feels really, really silly and spe- you know speculative, but you know that that's kind of the, the only way I can see it happening, really. No, yeah, but I think I think this is true because um, I, I think I'm I'm the same. Like I, many of the 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 values and the ideas and the ambitions and dreams I've had are still very Christian in, in their motifs. It's just that I have lost the belief in that underlying substrate, and I can't stop living as if, um, not as if God's true, but as it as as if you know. Um, people of value and all these sorts of things that are theoretically myths they're things that we have created and I kind of wonder like is it I, again it's, it's very hard to get into um, but for me obviously I've, 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 I've landed in, in this position where I think Christianity is a is a heuristic or a story or, or a way of seeing this world that we have crafted um, that humans have come up with to enable them to live lives which make sense or grant others um, dignity because that's a best that is a better way of living it's almost like you know um we, we see society uh, in, in, in an upwards trend in some ways so you can look at infancy death or, or whatever it is you want to look at there are many things that point to things getting better obviously things are getting worse in certain situations um but i kind of wonder whether that seems to be the way that evolution has driven us it is driven, driving us consistently to create a society that is able to continue its genes like it, it continues propagation and the better size we can get then the better those things move forwards um we, we've 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 spoken gone yeah it's the time for me to ask you some questions just to because i i find I, I find that really fascinating and um I, and in a kind of similar way kind of wanted to ask you so w- when you lost your belief when your belief died and you and i haven't i although i've listened to the podcast i don't know all the full details of how that happened but um what, what did you lose? Given that so much of that, in some ways you've kept so many of the habits, attitudes, values that you had, what what, what did you lose when you lost God? What went missing for you? It was mainly my hair, actually. It was it was really hard to um to 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 get over that. Um sorry, that was crap. Um what did I lose? It's a great question. Um mainly I lost the, a friend and a a guide and a comfort. Um, the one that that knew me and crafted me and and pushed me, um, to be the best me I could be for for his purposes. Um, I lost the grounding and the rooting to many of the propositions that I still hold to be true. To the point where I'm going, well, if they aren't true, how do I know that my my loved ones will live in a world where these things are held to be true? Um, because if they are, if they are the myths that they now become, um they are held together by hope and hope is a is a is, is a, a thing that doesn't necessarily continue forever there are going to be seasons of drought as well as seasons of of rain um so that's what i felt like i lost in a nutshell <laughs> And and do do you do you still feel that loss now, or do you do you sort of feel like you've moved beyond that in terms of like your? Because sometimes I hear you talk about it, and you seem quite strident and quite strong, and like yeah, that's gone. Here I go, you know. And then other times I hear you talk about it, and you seem quite melancholic and quite sad about it. And I mean, maybe it's just both that you know, maybe that's just natural. That's the way things are. I'm just I'm just wondering whether you still feel that sense of loss now, or whether you've just sort of reconstructed and moved on. Um. 
Yeah, I so I I I am a depressive. Um, so I you know diagnosed with depression. Um, had it very 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 severely and learned good coping mechanisms. So I think I have. I have better and worse days and this depression came actually way before uh, my deconstruction so it's something I've lived with through this this deconstruction um I have better and worse days with this as well so sometimes I can wake up and go it makes sense that this is a myth and I can push forwards and that's okay and other days I look around and go how how is this hanging together like how is this world and these social contracts and this way of living making like how are we not clubbing each other to death with bricks and and rocks and actual clubs like wooden clubs like how how are we not doing that to to just get our way and to push things into into how we think they should be like a very kind of blue mindset um yeah and i think um we we have this tendency as people and and i say this as we as like my, my my myself to um either make the best of a situation or to live in its utter like worse um and I, I kind of want to find a middle ground where I'm not always strident and happy and not always melancholy and sad, but actually I'm just really honest and I'm, I'm, I'm fairly brutal about about these things. Like if human rights and human value is a myth, why do our laws not help us to understand that? Do, do, is, is that because we need them to say they are true and they are something that we adhere to and follow to have a society that makes sense? Yeah, I, I, I can see how that makes sense and that and, and, and that flows, but... At the same time, you know, that is held together with, with just humans. And maybe that's the case. Like, we just do create these myths. And this, you know, humanity says something to be true. People agree to it to be true. We create a social contract. People break that. There are repercussions and issues with that. We send to jail, et cetera, et cetera. We have executed in the past, whatever. Um, and we begin to formulate a society, which is a, it's almost like a snowball effect where we just... This thing is true because it's true because it's true because it's true. Um, so I think where, where I am now with it is um, I can understand why somebody thinks it's rooted in God, but I don't think it is rooted in God. And that's been very challenging to work through. And there are, because of my depression, are better and worse days when I'm dealing with that, I guess. Yeah. I, and and the way you've sometimes put it, and I've, I've liked the way you've said this, is you've said that you've almost lost the ability to be convinced that it is God, that, you know, you try your best. It's like, you're, you know, crossing your fingers and gritting your teeth and trying to believe it at times and I, 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 no you're not really saying that but you're saying you can't be convinced by it anymore you know that you're not in control of whether this convinces you or not yeah so I, I i would say that if somebody told me that they believe in god i would think that they were not convinced of that decision um same with me if i turn around tomorrow and said to my audience i could put my hands up here i've read something or i've listened to something or i've come to this position and i believe this to be true and i'm not in control of that now i would i would listen to their rebuttals and their arguments which as i did as i was coming outside of christianity from christians like tell me tell me why i'm wrong so i can keep believing um and i'd listen to the same things from atheists and go tell me why this is wrong and actually just seeing what sticks there seems to be this weird like i don't know it's like velcro you know those, those velcro gloves you wear with a ball and you can throw it between two people it's almost like that like sometimes it's a rock they're throwing and it doesn't stick to the velcro sometimes it's not it's it's a proper ball and it sticks to the velcro and it's this it's this weird situation where um we, we, we almost need to try and um, open ourselves up to as many possibilities as possible and see what sticks to us and then we can live in that honest position and this is what I, this is what i get really confused about like if that is true that we are not in control of what does and does not convince us to be true. 
how can we need to believe a certain proposition to enter into a existence or structure or belief system with a God? And if we aren't doing those things, why did he try and tell us that we needed to? Like, why did he come down and live a certain way and teach us certain things and present a certain kingdom lifestyle um, to then disappear? And, and this is this is the, 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 the kind of broad scope. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll park it there. Are there any more sort of questions or do you want to begin to look at sort of, um, yeah. Yeah, so, so, yeah. Yeah. Because, again, there's a whole world to explore in, in what you've just said there, but we, we will move on. Yes. Yeah, so, so I guess when you've described it as the kind of the dominoes falling for you, you know, dominoes bit by bit. And one of the dominoes that fell, it was really your sort of uh, your belief in the documents of the New Testament, really, in terms of them being accurate or reliable or worth trusting. Um I, and I suppose as you and I have discussed it, I've kind of said that if that if that's the th- you know if that fell for me, that would be really quite a significant challenge. Um, I, and the person's name who comes up a lot when you and other people who've sort of been through similar experiences talk about it is they talk a lot about Bart Ehrman and his the influence of his theology and his sort of biblical studies um, on them. Um, what what was it? So if I were to follow in your footsteps and go, okay. I'm going to lose my faith. Let, let's let's follow Sam. Let, let's trace a little bit of your journey and see how it influences me as I go along. What what was it about that influence? What was it about Bart? Because let's call him Bart because I know he's a friend of yours now and you correspond with him fairly often. Um, what was it about what he said or what he did that had such a shaking effect on you? Yeah, um <laughs> Mainly it was just because he was just a little bit younger than N.T. Wright, so I knew he'd be around for a little bit longer so I could really build that rapport with him and it, it, it would mean something for me. So um, that's the main the main reason. Um, <laughs> sorry, again, another shit joke. I need to just stop drinking while I do podcasts. That's the main thing, I think. Um, so... What Bart Ehrman did for me and, and others others since, um, you know, even even Dale C. Allison, who is a Christian, uh, Presbyterian, I believe, um, New Testament scholar, going to be talking to him soon on, on the podcast as well. So listener, watch out for that. I'm very excited. Um, but yeah, basically what, what these sorts of people have done is they've began to um, allow me to see things in a non-conservative framework. So um, I've just read a book by Andrew Loke, which I'll be reviewing on the podcast for a series called Examining the Resurrection, where I'm essentially going through um, a variety of books, um, looking at the resurrection from both um, lay Christian and lay atheist to kind of scholarly Christian, scholarly atheist, and going, okay, so what are people saying and why are they saying it? And within the, you know, a massive spoiler alert for the blog post series, but they're they're very different audiences. Um, Like, one of the main things I've seen within the sort of um, Christian conservative framework for presenting the gospel messages and, and the truth of Jesus' resurrection is is always around this sort of very kind of like um, almost tunnel way of seeing it where you have to believe each proposition to be able to get out into the light at the end of the tunnel. And someone like Dale C. Allison or, or Bart Ehrman or within the Old Testament, um, a Dr. Joshua Bowen, um, again, I've spoken to him very recently for the podcast. Um, he's, a, he's like a um, essentially Old Testament, uh, ancient Hebrew um, scholar um really really great guy um what, what these people do is they essentially crack light and crack space within the very very beginning of that tunnel and go there are so many other ways to see this for instance how jesus is presented is 
and was once a proto-orthodox view. Like, it wasn't ever the the, the view of... Like, it wasn't like he died, rose again, and went, well, this is what it means. Like, there was an outworking and a confusion and a controversy and, 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 a, and a pulling together of theological ideas to work out what the flip does this mean? Like, Paul spent a decade trying to understand what it meant when he had this revelation that Jesus was the Son of God. And, like, this idea that a hanged man was God. Like a hangman's curse, it says so. I believe it in 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 Exodus or Leviticus. Like it says, that it literally says these words. Like a hanged man is cursed, and this person was hung on a tree. But that's God. So is God cursed? Like what does that even mean? Like Paul had to go and go and work this out. And and these individuals, I think, are willing to rather than going proposition one. You know, the creed in one Corinthians fifteen is fundamentally true, and blah 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 blah. blah. Like, and we just outwork everything from that. They go. Well, actually, there is a beginning and there is a confusion and an uncertainty. And it's that uncertainty that I think Bart Ehrman and then others have enabled me to go. We we do we just do not know this to be true. We can hope it's true, but we there is no, no there's no knowledge that it is true. Um, there is a always a scholarly or theological reason why somebody thinks this is true there is never a i began to look at the evidence and it was just true like that doesn't happen unless there is a desire for for the light at the end of the tunnel um so yeah scholars like barham and del allison um joshua bowen have enabled me to i guess see that there is a broader backdrop upon which all these things outwork and we tend to look at the final fruits of the gospels as this is this is true whereas before that there was fight and there was confusion and there was altering of texts and all sorts um to a greater and lesser extent depending on which author you read um for sure but you know it, just simple things like the best way to read jesus is as a, a an, an, an apocalyptic preacher and if we begin to read him as anything else we are beginning to delve into later theological outworkings of who jesus was um it, it makes far more sense for for jesus to be this apocalyptic preacher now whether or not you believe he believed that god was going to rock up in his lifetime or he thought he was always going to die or whatever like the gospels actually kind of present different sorts of motifs on this themselves so i don't need to say much on that but that there is just so much in there that is is complicated and um and not easy to follow so yeah i guess that that's what these people did for me they they enabled me to see that the very very beginning of this tunnel that a conservative christian will build to get to the light is cracked and there is daylight within that and if, if you just stop and rest in that position you begin to see there's a much broader framework that humanity is trying to push on texts yeah yeah and and as you know i mean we've discussed this between ourselves a few times that kind of my my although i sort of went kind of conservative and evangelical a bit later my kind of upbringing in christianity was pretty liberal and i you know so i trained to be a preacher in the methodist church originally at the age of 16 and um sorry sorry to let you down there sam um but literally the first thing i was exposed to like literally the first day of training in preaching was someone going through all the source criticism of the gospels and q and all the different things so it's like right from the very beginning of my understanding of theology if i'm honest at that point i just thought this was really boring and why am i having to learn this like that was my reaction to it but but it doesn't come as foreign to me it, it, it doesn't feel quite like feels more exciting to me to really look into that in a bit more depth than i have so far yes but if it absolutely rips the uh foundation away from your belief system it is the most horrific challenging um still exciting but um 
deeply moving thing that you can go through. And, and it, so for me, I view it as the rest of my life is going to be an exploration of this space. Like that, that's why I, I mean, even if I come offline and just do this on my own, like I'm, st I'm still going to be doing this because I find it incredible that there is this belief system that is, is very hard to pin down and, and prove to be true. That is, I believe fundamentally changed the West. Like I'm actually quite, um, quite not in bed with, but quite aligned to Tom Holland's, um, almost thesis within his book dominion um i know there are some challenges to it which i want to explore on the podcast as well but in general 80 percent of it i think is true and 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 or at least correct in its in its uh, in its assumptions so um it is it is really exciting but it's um it's challenging i mean i get emails all the time like all the time from people who um, i either know or have just come across the blog or podcast or whatever and have gone sam i am really struggling i'm, I'm a believer still um christians aren't able to answer my questions there there is no way that i can work this thing through easily um i have these questions can you help and i'm like I, this is this is not this is not fair. Like I'm going to answer this in 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 a way that is biased, that is um, really honest with where my doubts and confusions are, because that's what this podcast is. It's really me exploring my doubts and confusions, um, and I, I'm not going to help these people to rebuild something that they've held to be true. Um, and it, it's it's terrifying that there are so many people who are trying to explore this space and there doesn't seem to be voices that are willing to be honest and reflect on the uncertainty that is held within any belief system at all even even atheism like i still think there is uncertainty within atheism and we need to like atheists need to honestly reflect on that and go like the argument from reason like okay maybe it's not true but what what about it is is drawing christians in and what do we need as atheists to actually reconcile within ourselves like is rationality actually rational like fully objectively rational it, it, it can't be fully so okay how do we outwork that and i know there'll be atheists like who are absolutely recalling at this but um it, just having the space to have a conversation when we can say things like that and people don't almost you know unsubscribe at a touch is so important because yeah we need we, we 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 need to enable those that are going through um whatever journey into or out of faith to have a space to uh yeah reflect on why they believe something i guess um very very long-winded answer apologies there yeah, it's it's great sam um i know you're usually what the one who looks at the time and says we need to start wrapping up do we need to start wrapping up now sam? <laughs> uh we've got 15 more minutes in us i think i, I was going to chat to you oh, actually right, okay. about um about sort yeah. of how we could begin to um i guess push you to become the world's biggest atheist um like yeah, what, sure. what, what do we what do we need to do roger to get you to unsubscribe from that christianity channel um that's within your life um i, I know we've, we've we've joked a couple of times about a sort of bar sermon challenge um and i kind of wonder whether you would be kind of up for engaging with something like bar omen not necessarily to to make it drop your faith but to at least enable you to kind of almost reflect and see uh, where someone like like me or, or others um come from I, what, what are your thoughts something like that i think i mean I, I i think i'd be really up for it really um only in the sense, so I've been really aware of Bart Ehrman for, for quite a while. In fact, in fact, when I was a student, I think, like really 20 years ago, um, and I was looking at the traditional apologetics for the resurrection, and I think, um, am, I, am I right in thinking that Bart was trained by Gary Habermas at some point? They've definitely um, over overlapped at, at some point, yeah. Right, and then... Um, and at that point, you know, Gary Habermas was one of the people we were thinking of approaching to do a debate for us on the resurrection. And um, we heard about this guy who used to be an evangelical and then he lost his faith and now he's a, a, an atheist. 
And um, he said to Gary Habermas, I'll debate you anywhere, anytime. And at the time I was thinking, who is this evil person? I don't know who that is. And now I look back, I'm like, pretty sure we were talking about Bart Ehrman. I just <laughs> didn't know what his name was um, in those days. Um, and, and you know, what? I, and so, so I've actually looked at um, the Great Courses series um, Bart Emmons done a whole series of things of those on Audible and one of them and so basically it's him lecturing and he gives 24 lectures and um, there's there must be four or five of them of him sort of going through different sort of New Testament issues and things like that and one of them is pro- it's probably the lectures that later that underlie the later book How Jesus Became God um, and I was just looking through the contents page of that the other day and I thought you know I think I'd really enjoy getting into this I, I say enjoy so I think I'll enjoy it intellectually I think from a faith point of view it will be really challenging for me actually to look at some of that stuff I, I should probably say I've encountered you know this kind of thing but you know so I've read other really critical New Testament scholars before as well um but it seems to me that there's a sort of logic and a sort of almost um relentless <laughs> kind of structural way in which Bart Ehrman seems to have put together his thing that's almost it almost looks like an anti-apologetic when you look at it um I and you know I as we've you know as I said in the very first podcast we did together I do have this tendency to be attracted to what what could threaten me what might make me wrong if only because I think if it's out there and I'm worried about taking in that information I feel there's some obligation on me as someone who's you know, an academic and therefore likes to think. Um, I wouldn't say this for everybody, but for me, I think I therefore need to think about the things that that really, really disagree with me. Not, you know, you can't take in all of them, but when there's, so Bart Ehrman is one of the people who's really been on my radar and I've known it's going to be a challenge for me to read him. And then for maybe a year or two, I've sort of avoided it a little bit going, yeah, there'll come a moment when I'll do that, but I, I need to be ready. Um, so yeah, I uh, what I mean, sh- shall I propose what I think the challenge should be, and you can tell me if you think this is a good one. So, so I think basically for the next month between now and when we next record, um, F, so there's 24 lectures, so rough pretty much every day with a few breaks here and there. I'll just listen to the 30 minute lecture by Ehrman each day and just listen all the way through and probably just note down or, or just kind of reflect myself on how it's affecting me and what I'm noticing come up and I don't know maybe we call our next podcast the 30-day bot and Ehrman challenge and I just we just talk over what I have it whether my responses are different to yours how challenging it has been um whether I still have a faith or not you know all those all those sort of vital questions yeah let's do it i'll um i'll make sure i get the the non-sinners prayer ready so you can read over those three points and commit yourself to atheism afterwards and that'd be really important <laughs> um i um i need to stop answering everything you say with a joke that isn't funny that's that's the number one thing to learn from this but um i think i think having a 30-day challenge or 24-day challenge whatever it is 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 a really exciting thing i mean i kind of want to go what can i do what can i do but the truth is i think um I am already trying to engage with this, like looking at the resurrection for me. So uh, people always say to me, like, what would it take for you to come back to belief in Christianity? I'm like, well, like knowing that the gospels are, are true and correct and coherent and that the, the less support that you've already mentioned, um, at least the ones that the scholars kind of say like those, those seven, like Paul wrote these, these epistles are also true and correct would begin to help me go, okay, well actually, you know, if these people did actually see something, it was actually true. Um, 
and maybe how we've then outworked that has been complicated and confusing, but there is a way of looking at Christianity that's different. Like that's how I that's how I've come back to faith, and that's what I'm doing with this sort of series on the resurrection. So I'm definitely engaged with that, um, reading many, many books on that. So um I, I think it'd be really interesting, especially because I'm currently reading more conservative Christian books on the resurrection. And if, for you to go and listen to um I mean I, I wouldn't say Bartman's necessarily um right on everything, and there's there are many points that Bartman says stuff on that I disagree with. And actually I I think that that the sort of Christian that you are, Roger, you'd probably um, find two of his books actually fairly fine, which is The Triumph of Christianity, which is a book that looks at how Christianity could have grown in number naturalistically, like it doesn't need to have miracle events to have grown to the way it did. Um, and also his book Heaven and Hell, A History of the Afterlife, I think as well, um, you'd probably sit, sit alongside that and go, actually, the idea of heaven is a fairly late conception that doesn't really fit in with what Jesus is saying at all. Um, there was definitely some sort of death and belonging to God, but that's about as far as we can get. And, and though those two books, I think actually you would not really have an issue with. I think, you know, how Jesus became God um, is really interesting. And also um, his book, Misquote, in Jesus, which is his most like famous book, and I think people often um, view as his best book. I don't think that's actually true either, but it's it's very interesting because it looks at how the text would change, the sorts of things that we can see within the text, which suggests that scribes have gone, oh, well, that kind of suggests this sort of narrative that we don't want people to believe. We want this proto-orthodox view to become the orthodox view, so we're going to begin to um, edit. Um, sections here and there most of which don't matter um some of which matter greatly so uh that again i'm not saying everything bart says in those books are correct either but it's it's a really interesting touchstone so um i think that'd be really cool to kind of yeah for, for the next episode to basically look at look at the bart um, and 30 day challenge and go um you know where where are you what do you think what are your reflections and then um yeah go forward from there and i it, it could always be like i could try and push back from a sort of um christian standpoint and kind of see how how those things bounce off you but we'll have to see if i'm in that space at that time yeah. um yeah yeah no I'd, I'd love to do that and, and just final question for me is um is how jesus became god the, the most challenging place to begin with bart do you think or because i look at it I, I feel quite excited to 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 look at it i think i will find a lot that i agree with in there and i have no problem with that idea of Jesus being God, being a process that would sort of people thought through for a while. Um, is, is that going to hit the sort of level of challenge that, that is worth doing? I, what's the question? I'm trying to ask, is, is that the right, you know, am I going to get authentic Bart Ehrman slamming my faith by listening to those lectures? That's the question I'm asking. So the, the, the lectures are far more in-depth than the book. The book's like about a nine-hour read. The lectures, I think, as you mentioned, like 24 hours or whatever. So they're far more... Mm. Uh, detail in those um the lectures are more based on his um he's got a couple of scholarly books uh, on the new testament um which are fantastic as well very very expensive but those lectures the different lectures he has kind of are, are almost the scholarly take on those things um so i think listening to those lectures rather than the book will be good it will give you a much broader understanding of how he's framing the things he's suggesting uh, whereas the book it is it, you know, the book itself is 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 a popular work it isn't um something that you would just um give to a theology student it's something you'd give to somebody in church to kind of make, make them question a little bit here and there but actually he'll pull elements from his quitting jesus he'll put he'll pull elements from other works he's done um which will be helpful um so I, I think it'll be challenging. I, I honestly do. So, um, I mean, we could start there. And if you turn around and go, this was this was fine. I'm absolutely fine. I'm going to be asking like, what's fine? Like, I, I still want to kind of go like, what's what's not changed in your viewpoint? Like, do you believe everything and agree with it? And if you say yes, then it's like, 
okay, well, things clearly aren't aligned. So it, it will definitely have stuff in it, which is making us go, okay, well, this is a tension point and this is a tension mm -hmm. point and let's look at these two areas. So if, if nothing else, those 24 to 30 days will enable us to find those touchstones and actually delve into um, other subjects probably more, more fruitfully. So yeah, let's do it. Great. Sounds good, Sam. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'll start, start tomorrow. Good luck. <laughs>